Hello and welcome to COS Live. You can watch the original video broadcast live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. And now, here's COS Live. Well, hello everyone and welcome to COS Live. I'm Rita Peters. I'm the Senior Vice President for Legislative Affairs with Convention of States Action. And I'm excited to introduce our program for this evening. The video you're about to watch is a playback from a January 7th, 2022 hearing held by the Massachusetts Joint Committee on Veterans and Federal Affairs as they considered our Article 5 resolution. Volunteers and citizen supporters of Convention of States gave testimony in support of that legislation. Remember that under the U.S. Constitution, if two-thirds of the states agree to an Article 5 convention, they can propose constitutional amendments. Our resolution sets the agenda for the convention to cover three topics, term limits, fiscal restraints, and limits on federal overreach. This truly is a solution as big as the many problems in the federal government today. Massachusetts is one of at least 20 states that are considering our resolution this year, in addition to the 15 states that have already adopted it. Now, you might ask, why even try in a state like Massachusetts, right? Well, first of all, it's the duty of patriots, wherever they live, to engage with their government and fight for causes they believe in. That's such a big part of our mission at Convention of States, to build the largest self-governing army of citizen activists. We are training Americans how to take back the power that has been stolen from us. Furthermore, even if Massachusetts isn't ultimately one of the initial 34 states to apply for a convention, they will still be invited to participate in the convention. So it's really important for us to be educating legislators about the process and the kind of constitutional solutions that the people want. The dedicated team in Massachusetts is rejecting the defeatist assumptions about politics and building up their self-governing muscles to make their voices heard. Now, I want you to pay attention to how our supporters articulate their support to the legislators and why they should vote yes to COS. They did a wonderful job, and we think that watching them will help train more ordinary citizens on how they can testify with clarity, warmth, and heart to their own legislators. If you'd like to learn more about that, please sign up with your COS team at www.conventionofstates.com slash take underline action. So go to conventionofstates.com and click on the take action page. Once you are onboarded, you will have access to in-depth training on impacting your government and the legislative process through our special program, cosuniversity.com. Again, what you're about to watch is citizen testimony before the Massachusetts Joint Committee on Veterans and Federal Affairs 
as they consider our Article 5 resolution, which is H.R. 3660. Now, this was a virtual hearing, but normally these hearings are in person. It lasts about 90 minutes, so be prepared for that. Representative Stephen Jaros was our co-sponsor who was on the call speaking in favor. And although this Massachusetts committee did not vote on our resolution yet, the team there had 33 citizens signed up to testify, which is a huge number for hearings like this. This is really impressive work from the Massachusetts team. They were extremely well prepared, organized, and so committed as they seek to educate and lobby their legislators to support us in this constitutional remedy. After the proponent testimony from dozens of COS volunteers, you'll also see one opponent who is a paid lobbyist from the George Soros-funded Common Cause organization. And we're leaving that in there so you can see all the testimony on our legislation. Enjoy the show. And to make sure the protections afforded by the Constitution are upheld with equal respect from generation to generation. Fortunately, the Constitution provides a legal mechanism by which the people can address these concerns through peaceful, thoughtful, respectful, and lawful debate. The mechanism is set forth in Article 5 of our United States Constitution, which allows for the calling of a convention of states to discuss the, the proposed amendments limiting the scope and jurisdiction of the federal government. I am here to voice my support for the resolution that is before us, which would call for such a convention. Today, a panel of Massachusetts residents will explain the origin and purpose of Article 5, some of the reasons why we believe a convention of states is necessary, and what we are and are not asking of you, us, our representatives in this hearing. They will be testifying a little bit later. House Bill 3660, as written, calls for a convention of states limited to proposing amendments to the Constitution of the United States that impose fiscal restraints on federal government, limited power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and limit the terms of office for its officials and members of Congress. Members of this esteemed committee, please join my fellow sponsors, Representative Brad Jones, Stephen Howitt, Timothy Whalen, Senator Patrick O'Connor, and myself in seeking a favorable review of this notable and worthy bill. Thank you. Is Michael Arnold on House Bill 3660. Floor is yours. Thank you, sir. Good afternoon, committee chairs and committee members. My name is Michael Arnold of the 2nd Barnstable District. I'm a volunteer for Convention of States, Massachusetts. Ladies and gentlemen of this committee, by any objective measure, the significant and significantly growing majority of Americans believe that our republic has veered completely off course, far afield from the principles and limitations established by the United States Constitution. The events of the last few months alone have reinforced that. Not only has the federal government long strayed from its enumerated powers, it is totally incompetent. That incompetence can be measured in wasted lives, trillions of wasted dollars in debt, 
and the erosion of the liberty of every American citizen. Far from a limited government dedicated to sustaining ordered liberty and federal government has descended into a lawless oligarchy that regularly abuses its power and bifurcates the citizenry. Too many in the federal government, regardless of party, act as rulers rather than representatives and see constituents not as fellow citizens, but as subjects who are to be mastered. However, as the philosopher Russell Kirk wrote, quote, our constitution is Republican, designed to be secure the public good through the sharing of political power among many people, unquote. This republic is the, for the people are sovereign. Now in great and growing numbers, the people are ready to reclaim that authority peacefully and lawfully. That reclamation begins with the utilization of the constitutional mechanism put in place to address the expansion of federal power and the abuses thereof. We are here to voice support for this resolution before you and to advance the Article 5 Convention of the United States Constitution for the purposes of calling a convention of states to discuss the proposed amendments limiting the scope and jurisdiction of the federal government. Today, we will explain the origin and purpose of Article 5, some of the reasons why we believe a convention of states is necessary and what we are and are not asking of you, our representatives in this hearing. Thank you all for your consideration on this and please report favorably on H3660 before the February 2nd deadline. Thank you very much, sir. Questions from members of the committee? All righty, seeing none, again, the next several folks testifying are testifying on the same bill. So I'm just going to introduce them by name, but again, everybody is here on House Bill 3660. And when that changes, I will certainly, certainly let you know. Next up, we have David Wilder. My name is Dave Wilder, a resident of Somerset and a volunteer for the Convention of States in Massachusetts. Article 5 of the Constitution provides the sovereign citizens through our state legislatures the method by which to return to first principles of limited government. Put crudely, Article 5 is the, quote, break class in case of emergency, unquote, option for the states. We believe that we are in such an emergency. Article 5 outlines two methods for amending the Constitution. The second is our focus today. It states that Congress, quote, on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states shall call a convention for proposing amendments, end quote. Years prior to the Constitutional Convention of 1787, Virginia delegate Colonel George Mason had written the initial draft of the Virginia Declaration of Rights, the first document that recognized the rights of the individual citizens as the sovereign. During the convention, Mason insisted upon preventing what could be termed a runaway Congress from interfering with the rights of the people to amend the proposed constitution. The notion that the states, without interference from Congress, would have the ability to rebalance constitutional order was presented as part of the Virginia Plan, which was authored by James Madison and heavily influenced by Mason. Some delegates to the convention believe that any such provision was unnecessary. However, as Madison noted, quote, Colonel Mason urged the necessity of such a provision. The plan now to be formed will certainly be defective as the Confederation has found on trial to be. Amendments will therefore be necessary 
and it will be better to provide for them in an easy, regular, and constitutional way than to trust a chance and violence. It would be improper to require the consent of the national legislature because they may abuse their power and refuse the consent of that very account. Um, this testimony will continue with others, but I want to thank you for your time. It's a real privilege to uh, present my thoughts before you. Thank you. Now we greatly thank you for presenting your thoughts. Um, thank you very much. Questions, members of the committee? Seeing none, next up, Robert Colburn. Robert Colburn. All righty, how about Alexander Carson? Alexander Carson. Hello. Uh, Hi, how are you? Thank, thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen of the committee, uh, I'm Alex Carson. I live in Melrose, Massachusetts, and I would like to uh, thank you all for the opportunity <laughs> to give my testimony. <laughs> Connecticut delegate, Connecticut delegate Roger Sherman suggested a plan by which Congress would propose amendments for, the, for ratification by the states. But Mason, ever skeptical of the overreaching centralized power, would not be moved, again, from Madison's notes. Colonel George, quote, Colonel George Mason thought the plan of amending the Constitution exceptional and dangerous. As the proposed, as as the proposing of amendments is both the models is in both of the models to depend on Congress, and no amendments of the proper kind would ever be obtained by the people. If the government should become oppressive, as he verily believed to be the case. Unquote. In other words, why would a centralized government that becomes tyrannical ever propose legislation or amendments to rein in its own tyranny? As you know, the second clause of Article 5 was included. For this very reason, Mason's insistence was a noble and wise gift. We seek to put that inheritance to good use. As Mason and many others feared, the federal government has become, has become outsized, wasteful, and thoroughly corrupt, a soft tyranny rapidly transforming into something worse. An Article 5, an Article 5 Convention of States is necessary to propose limits on the government to benefit all citizens. The United States was never meant to be a central, centralized democracy. Government is to be from the bottom upward. We are a union of states, united only for the purposes and conditions enumerated in the Constitution. But this arrangement has become inverted. I'd like to thank you again for the opportunity to give my testimony. Alex, thank you very much for your testimony here today. Questions from members of the committee? All righty, seeing none. Thank you very much, Alex. Have a good weekend. And next up, we have Michael Del Santo. Good afternoon, committee. Uh, my name is Mike Del Santo. I'm a resident of Wayland, and I really do appreciate uh, your time uh, today. An Article 5 convention would certainly discuss and propose an amendment or amendments that place restraints upon the power of the federal government to tax and spend. The United States is broke. We are actually worse than broke. We need to pay somewhere between $30 trillion and $150 trillion of our obligations to get to broke. Citizens helplessly watch continuing resolutions being enacted by Congress and signed by presidents of both parties that violate the Budget Act. Debt ceilings are raised. 
The term captures the stupidity. How many times have you raised the ceiling of your own house? Money is printed uncontrollably to fund ever-increasing benefits that disincentivize work and increase the tax burden on a populace that increasingly works in low-paying service jobs. While previous generations of Americans seemed to sacrifice for others not yet born, our federal government seems to strive to see what they can in what can be inflicted upon others not yet born. Congress has consistently adopted gigantic omnibus spending bills while relatively while relatively novel in the context of the entire history of the republic, such bills have been passed for decades. In 1989, Congress pushed pushed through a budget reconciliation act that a then member described as quote so voluminous that it was hauled into the chamber in an oversized box. It's thousands of pages, which the clerk hadn't even time to number, had to be tied together with rope like newspapers bundled for recycling. While reading, it was obviously out of the question. While reading, it was obviously out of the question. It's true that I was permitted to walk around the box and gaze upon it from several angles, even to touch it. Describing a piece of spending legislation not as something that can be read in 15 minutes, but as an animal at a petting zoo is the opposite of limited government in a representative republic. In Article 5, Convention of States would most certainly consider an amendment or amendments that would require that the generally ac general accepted accounting principles be forced upon the, gov the federal government a requirement that annual and a requirement that annual federal budgets be balanced. Again, I just wanted to thank you for the opportunity, and I do urge you to please consider supporting House Resolution 3660. Thank you very much. Michael, thank you very much. Um, members of the committee, questions? All righty, seeing none. Next up, we have Robert Rusa. Robert Rusa. Yes, this is Robert Rusa. The floor I is yours. In, can you hear me? Loud and clear. The floor is yours, sir. My name is Robert Rusa. I live in Leominster, Massachusetts, and I want to thank the committee today for taking the time to listen to the reasons for a convention of states. During nearly a decade as an employee at the Department of Defense, one of the Massachusetts Convention of States volunteers has regularly witnessed the abhorrent waste of taxpayers' funds firsthand. To cite just one example, a piece of research equipment purchased at a cost of $500,000 went unused for years. It was finally returned as, quote, excess equipment half a million dollars in exchange for nothing. The expenditure did not project a border. It did not deter a terrorist attack, terrorist attack. It did not bring any military personnel home. It was simply waste. The only thing that the equipment defended was just justification for the prevention of cuts to the defense department budget. It is standard practice with the federal government to spend allocated funds on unnecessary items and services to extinguish those funds to ensure that the next year's budget is not cut and perhaps increased. Our volunteer has read numerous email blasts sent by the heads of finance divisions that urge departments of defense employees to purchase equipment and supply to exhaust all available funds 
And the example cited, $500,000 can be um, decided on more salaries for many yet the federal government nonchalantly considered such a sum to be of relevant insignificance. That is just one of the items within the division with one federal agency. It is self-evident that this is a broken system. We are robbing untold numbers of generations to fund waste and sloth. Prior to our volunteer time in government, he wondered where trillions of dollars could be gone. He doesn't wonder any longer. This is why we support an Article 5 Convention of States. We must least consider and propose restraints such as balanced budgets requirements and the application of generally accepted accounts, counting principles to prevent such waste and abuse in the federal government. Please consider a vote, the House of Massachusetts to become one of the 34 states that attends Convention of States meeting. I thank you and please support S3660. Thank you very much for your time. And thank you for yours. Um, questions from the committee? All righty. Oh, did I see you? Okay. Um, next up. Thank you, sir. I have Christy Stefano. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Can you, you can hear me okay? Yes. My name is Christy Stefano, and I'm from West Springfield, and I'm also a Convention of States volunteer. Uh, read the op-ed section of most any local newspaper on any given day, and you likely will find calls for term limits for members of Congress. An Article 5 Convention of States will certainly address such calls in the reasons for congressional term limits, which are legion. Thomas Jefferson claimed in personal correspondence that, quote, I have the consolation of having added nothing to my private fortune during my public service and of retiring with hands as clean as they are empty, unquote. So wrote the principal author of the Declaration of Independence, yet read those words aloud to a group of contemporary members of Congress and they would likely burst out laughing, Jefferson, what a fool. Countless members of Congress have dirtied their hands while adding plenty of their private fortunes during their time in office, time that expands due to the advantages of incumbency. I just wanna thank the committee, committee today for having me share my testimony, and I'm respect, respectfully asking the committee to please vote in favor of House 3660. Thank you. Oh, again, thank you very much for coming forward and testifying today. Um, so next up we have, it's, Excuse me, excuse me, Chair. I'm I'm so sorry to interrupt. This is Mike Del Santo. I just testified. I, I was just in communication with um, Bob Colburn, uh, who who he had you had tried calling earlier. Would you be able to? I I've got confirmation he's on. Would you? Would we we be able to get him back in? Certainly. Thank you. Bob, are you on? Are you able to unmute? Yes. Okay. Thank you, Chair. I appreciate it. Of course, absolutely. Thank you, committee, for this opportunity and uh, ask your support of House Bill 3660. I'm Bob Colburn. I'm a Convention of States volunteer from Plymouth. Members of Congress. Sir, can I just can I just cut you off for one second? I, I, I feel bad. I just want to make sure 
the previous speaker. I didn't ask if anybody had any questions of her. I just want to give everybody an opportunity. I sure. apologize. Members of the committee? Okay, sir, the floor is yours. Sorry about that. That's quite all right. Again, thank you for the opportunity to give you my testimony. Members of Congress also treat federal funds as a personal bank under the cover of bringing goodies to their constituencies. Consider this case of a Senate Budget Committee chairman who earmarked around $66 million in Treasury funds to, to, to convert an Air Force base into a business park. That business park happened to be developed by the senator's brother. The senator also just happened to have invested somewhere between a half a million and a million into the project and eventually raked in hundreds of thousands on those investments. The senator answered questions about such earmarks by saying that he had not broken any of the Senate's ethical rules. That answer is true and the absolute problem. Congress makes the rules and comically polices itself. Legislating in such fashion is not in line with the principle of equality before the law. It establishes a hierarchy of privilege and influence. Insiders, wealthy corporations and their lobbying divisions and political donors are granted exceptions and or benefits that most individual citizens do not enjoy. Any mandate or law regarding their requirement that is not equally applied is invalid and unacceptable. And in legislating in such fashion, members of Congress need only worry about preferred clients, i.e. donors who can assist in their primary objection, objective, re-election. Thank you again for allowing me to testify. I ask you to support House Bill 3660 for the sake of our children and grandchildren's future. Thank you very much, sir, for your testimony. Uh, members of the committee, questions? Seeing none, sir, thank you very much for your testimony today. Have a great weekend. And next up, we have Cheryl Susan Flowers. Hello. Hello. Hi, my name is Cheryl Flowers. I'm a resident of the town of Plymouth. I am a supporter of the Convention of States and the House Resolution 3660. The advantages of incumbency are endless. Name recognition and fundraising build upon themselves over the years, making it more difficult for even the most able of citizens to make elections competitive. Entrenched members of Congress in both major political parties often award monies and rights to family members and preferred constituencies that can assist them in holding and increasing power. The seniority system in Congress rewards longevity, not necessarily competence or fidelity to the Constitution, with committee chairmanships or ranking minority status. Time is money and power in Washington, D.C., the framers of the Constitution did not envision such concentration and continuation of power. They had, they would never have bothered George III in the first place. Political careerism and the advantages of incumbency necessitate the need for an Article 5 Convention of States 
to consider a constitutional amendment that places term limits upon members of Congress. Jefferson expressed disapproval to James Madison in December 1787 concerning a lack of term limits in then proposed constitution. Yet rotation in office was well observed by members of Congress until 1901 and the dawn of what is called the progressive movement. To that point, most members of Congress did not seek re-election after one term. By custom, one such congressman from Illinois named Abraham Lincoln served only one term. As he demonstrated, rotation in office did not be in individuals from public affairs. Term limits would merely place a necessary, a necessary re restraint upon federal office. I urge you to vote yes on resolution 3660. Thank you for your time and attention. Thank you, ma'am. Questions from the committee? Seeing none. Thank you, ma'am. Have a great Friday and weekend. You and as well. Thank you. Next up, we have John Bologna. John Bologna. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Yes, yes, thank sir, you, Mr. Chair. Can you hear me all right? Loud and clear. Thank you. The floor Chairman. is yours. Thank you. And uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, members of the uh, Thank you for your service country and for your support. Of, um, my name is John Bologna. I reside in East Harwich, and I'm here to support, to testify in support of H.R. 3660. Self-term limiting was also exhibited in the Office of the Presidency. Presidents faithfully adhere to the standard set by George Washington until Franklin D. Roosevelt obliterated it in 1940. This necessitated the ratification of the 22nd Amendment in 1951, which set the two-term limit for presidents. Yet the advantages of incumbency, the ability to direct gifts from the Treasury, and the amassing of power has fostered hundreds of careerists in Congress. They claim unlimited power, vote themselves pay raises, and exempt themselves from legislation that they pass, proving George Mason's point over and over. Congress, as presently constructed, would never consent to the limiting its own powers and privilege. Term limits would force careerists to emulate Lincoln and find other outlets for their ambition. Establishing such a limit would be perfectly aligned with the Constitution and its philosophy and approach of the founders. It would blunt careerism in Congress and require rotation in office. It would also result in the election of citizen legislators who work not to secure their next victory, but the hard-won liberty of the people. In closing, I thank you again for the opportunity to present this testimony to you this morning uh, and, and um, in honor of all the veterans that have served to uphold and preserve the Constitution. I strongly urge you to support Resolution 3660, the Convention of States. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Members of the committee, questions? All righty, seeing none. Next up, we have Michael Hall. Michael Hall. Hear me? Yes. Michael Hall, okay. Greetings and thank you for allowing me to testify today. Uh, my name is Michael Hall. I'm from Orleans. And I support, I ask you to support the House Resolution Bill 3660. The unreadable bills mentioned earlier patched or cobbled together by unelected staffers and money no object lobbying operations are not reflective of representative government, but are in fact its demise. 
As a late congressman of 47 years said of one 3,000 page monstrosity, quote, I love these members. They get up and say, read the bill. What good is reading the bill if it's a thousand pages and you don't have two lawyers to find out what it means after you read the bill, unquote. It's true. No legislature can read or comprehend the bills on which he or she is voting. That is why most of those responsibilities should be left to the state and local governments to consider. An Article 5 Convention of States considering amendments to restrain the federal government might also consider repealing the 17th Amendment to restore balance to Congress and give back to states their proper seat in federal affairs. Senators were to be the voice of the state legislatures in Washington. They were to provide necessary checks on the executive and quell the potential tyranny of the majority in the House. The 17th Amendment, written and ratified in the populist and misnamed progressive movement of the early 20th century, obliterated that arrangement. Upon its April 8, 1913 ratification, senators were transformed from ambassadors to free agents and have acted largely such ever since. This stands against the founders' vision and has come at great cost to the two houses of Congress, state sovereignty and the Republican government. Direct election of senators was said to be the more democratic than language of Article I, the Constitution. But the founders did not establish a pure democracy. They established a federal republic and wrote the Constitution accordingly. Again, thank you for your time. I appreciate your support for the House Resolution 3660. And we thank you for your time here today. Questions from the members of the committee? All righty, seeing none. Thank you again, sir. Um, next up, Deborah Naklicki. I want to thank all the committee members for their time. My name is Deborah Naklicki. My family and I live in South Dennis. I'm a volunteer with the Convention of States Project in Massachusetts and a supporter of House Resolution 3660. It is difficult to argue against the assertion that the United States Supreme Court has become totally unmoored from its original purpose. Decisions from the court are treated with a breathless anticipation, equal perhaps only by the faithful awaiting of the white smoke at the Vatican. Those decisions are regarded as the final say in constitutional law. A current member of the House once said of a pronouncement from the tribunal, quote, it is a decision of the Supreme Court, so this is almost as if God had spoken, unquote. Justices are accorded undue reverence and significance and increasingly encroach upon the lives of the sovereign citizens. Yet matters of commerce, liberty, and life and death were not to be in the hands of five robed attorneys. How did this come to pass and what can be done about it? Judicial independence is vital in a constitutional republic. This was recognized by those who foresaw the incremental expansion of judicial power. One of those was Brutus, writing in Anti-Federalist 13. Brutus, who was thought to be New York Judge Robert Yates, was particularly concerned with how the expansion of judicial power would impact the states. He wrote, quote, Perhaps nothing could have been better conceived to facilitate the abolition of the state governments than the constitution of the judicial. They will be able to extend the limits of the general government gradually, 
and by insensible degrees and to accommodate themselves to the temper of the people. Their decisions on the meaning of the Constitution will commonly take place in cases which arise between individuals with which the public will not be generally acquainted. One adjudication will form a precedent to the next and this to a following one. Again, I would like to, that ends my testimony. I would like to thank uh, the committee for their, for their time and I sincerely urge you to vote in favor of HR 3660. Thank you. Well, we thank, we thank you for coming forward here and testifying today. Questions for members of the committee? Seeing none, thank you very much, ma'am. Next up, Brian Hemingway, please. Good afternoon, uh, ladies and gentlemen of this committee. Uh, thank you for taking the time to uh, listen thank to you. us speak today. Uh, my name is Brian Hemingway. I uh, grew up in Weymouth, Massachusetts. I'm a lifelong Massachusetts resident, and I currently reside in America's hometown, Plymouth. Gates was proven correct. As Chief Justice John Marshall's opinion in the infamous case, Marbury versus Madison demonstrated. Marbury confirmed this notion indeed expanded the authority of the court. As Marshall wrote in his opinion, quote, the ju judicial power of the United States is extended to all cases arising under the Constitution, unquote. That expansion of power, unauthorized in the Constitution or by any subsequent amendment, resulted in disastrous interpretations and rulings. Consider then-Chief Justice Roger Taney's terrible decision and reasoning in the Dred Scott case of 1856. Taney and a few other justices ruled that Scott, a slave, had no standing to, stu to sue for his freedom. This did much to bring about the Civil War. Abraham Lincoln's response to this, this decision was delivered during his first inaugural. Quote, at the same time, the candid citizen must confess that if the policy of the government upon vital questions affecting the whole people is to be irrevocably fixed by decisions of the Supreme Court, the instant the instant they are made in ordinary litigation between parties and personal actions, the people will have ceased to be their own rulers, having to that extent practically resigned their government into the hands of that eminent tribunal, unquote. Ruling after ruling and edict after edict has followed. I want to thank you today for giving me this time to speak to you guys, and I strongly urge you to... Uh, vote in favor of House Bill 3660. Thank you very much for your testimony here today. And questions for members of the committee? All righty, seeing none, we are going to quickly audible for a second. I re received a message from one of the committee members and Senator Collins, are you here to testify on S2427? Yes, uh, thank you very much, uh, Chairman Bayless, and uh, for those testifying before the committee today. Um, I just wanted to take a moment to uh, speak in, in favor of S2427, an act exempting 
veterans from civil service exam fees. Um, some that took place last year, uh, the um, HRD civil service decided to do an annual exam for all municipalities, something that a lot of municipalities needed. In the case of the city of Boston, that wasn't, uh, the, the list were long enough that they were able to, you know, use that for two years. And then uh, the policy uh, that was put forth statewide ended up forcing veterans who had taken an exam to take an exam annually, which is, you know, obviously um, uh, an expensive test and one that um, I think the city of Boston applicants make up a, a significant portion of the city's receipts. So uh, and this coming from that uh, perspective, um, as we've been dealing that with that in Boston, I think that it's worthy of our consideration and, and hope that uh, gets a favorable report. Many thanks, Senator Collins. Thank you for your work on this bill and all other bills. You've been a steadfast ally, and all, uh, ally on all veterans-related issues, and we and we thank you for that. Any questions for members of the committee? All righty. Thank you, Senator Collins. Thank you. Okay, we are going right back to H3660, and next up is Janet Esterkees. Hi, <clears throat> good afternoon. My name is Janet Esterkis, and I reside in Salem, Massachusetts. I'd like to thank you for listening to um, our testimony today. One of the worst decisions the court has made was the 1942 case Wickard v. Filburn. The court ruled that the Interstate Commerce Clause of the Constitution enveloped interstate commerce. Nowhere in the Constitution is this power granted. This increased the power and scope of federal agencies to regulate commerce in an extra-constitutional fashion. Wickard established the dangerous and evil precedent that the federal government can deny access to something or prevent the individual from saying no. Wickard involved a farmer who grew excess wheat <clears throat> that he was not planning to sell and for which he was going to use in his own farm, not trading across state or county lines. The court deemed his choice to have impacted demand and that the government could compel economic consumption. This is a gross violation of not only the language of the Constitution, but of individual liberty and decision-making, the creation of serfs. Because of the undue and unconstitutional influence given to the Supreme Court, nominations and confirmations regarding the lifetime appointment of potential Supreme Court justices have taken on a dramatic importance that is out of proportion for a representative republic by an order of magnitude. These usually devolve into circuses and further divide the republic. Federal judicial nominees are portrayed as divinely inspired or evil incarnate. Neither is true. Judges are fallible human beings to whom excess power should never be given, particularly if it is unchecked. I would like to thank you again for your time and urge you to support H.R. 3660. And thank you very much for your time today. Um, members of the committee, questions? Seeing none, thank you very much, ma'am. Have a great weekend. And next up, we have Patricia Baldner, please. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen of the Massachusetts General Court. Thank you for your time and attention. My name is Patricia Baldner of Abington. The Wall Street Journal recently reported 
that between 2010 and 2018, 131 federal judges not only failed to recuse themselves while overseeing cases involving firms in which they or their family members held shares, but also ruled in favor of their own financial self-interest in two-thirds of those cases. Participation in those cases violated the code of conduct for federal judges. Judges are required to recuse themselves if a case in which they have any ownership of a legal or equitable interest, however small, comes before them. Whether such oversight were, as some judges claim, honest mistakes is immaterial. The judges violated the code of conduct. Such behavior does nothing to alter the appearance that the federal government is an oligarchy in which its privileged members are not only merely immune from the rules and the consequences of breaking those rules, but also profit financially. One of the judges involved was quoted as saying of her 218,000 annual federal income, I have my judicial salary, but the law really restricts what else's judge can do for an additional income. If an annual salary of nearly a quarter of a million dollars is insufficient, perhaps the federal judiciary is not for you. Senator Warren has proposed banning members of Congress from owning or trading stocks while in office. That should go for federal judges as well. Fixed terms for federal judges should go far in cycling out judges who are themselves incapable are unwilling to recuse themselves from cases in which they have a financial stake. Judicial term limits would also apply the concept of rotation and true public service to the federal bench. An Article 5 Convention of States would likely discuss and propose amendments to limit the terms of service for the federal judiciary. A convention might also consider ideas such as giving Congress or state legislators the ability to override decisions by the Supreme Court via supermajority so that the court's power can be properly checked. Whereas you are the closest to we the people of Massachusetts, we thank you in advance for joining the 15 other states already on board with an additional six ready to vote for using the Article 5 of the Constitution. HR, please vote for HR 3660. Thank you. Thank you so thank you so much for, for testifying today. Questions from the committee. All righty, seeing none. Thank you so much. Next yep. up, we have William, is it Boucher? William Boucher? Yes, it is. Very good. All right. Uh, ladies you and gentlemen. You got one right today. You did. Thank you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen of the committee, I reside in Falmouth, and I thank you for your attention to the matter of H.R. 3660. In the 1970s, political scientist Theodore Lowy pointed out that when Congress established the Occupational Safety and Health Administration and the Consumer Product Safety Commission, it did not explicitly state any policy goals for those agencies, nor provide any standards for their operation or conduct. The agencies were given a free pass to make it up as they went. This fourth branch of government, the administrative state, was never intended to exist. The rule of the administrative state is anti-constitutional and allows for a vast array of policy making. 
It is an oligarchy, meaning a rule by the few for their own purposes that are supported by interest groups. This leads to the disenfranchisement of the sovereign citizen. Congress further ignores its role by permitting the president to issue executive orders that are often extra constitutional in nature and practice. Such orders and regulations, no matter who is using them, issuing them, can undo positive accomplishments in weeks or months. They are not subject to review or rebuke by the sovereign people. This abandonment of its role violates one of the most fundamental principles of limited government and ordered liberty. The founders of this republic were significantly influenced by the political philosopher John Locke. He wrote that the lawmaking power was the legislature's alone. Quote, the power of the legislative being derived from the people by a positive and voluntary grant and institutions can be no other than what the positive grant conveyed, which being only to make laws and not to make legislators. The legislative can have no power to transfer their authority of making laws and place it in other hands, unquote. Thank you again for your attention, and we sincerely ask for your support in bringing H.R. 3660 to the floor of the House. Appreciate your time here today, sir. Thank you very much. Questions from the committee? Seeing none. Okay, thank you. And next up, Mary McKenzie. Hello, my name is Mary McKenzie. Uh, I reside in South Yarmouth, and I'm a volunteer for the Convention of States. Even if amid the monstrous bill passed by Congress, there are provisions that are outlawed. Federal agencies can put them back in because of the authority given to the secretaries of those agencies. There are hundreds of references to the secretary shall or the secretary may or the secretary determines who elected the secretary to shall may or determine anything. In such a hyper-regulated nation as ours has become, who among us is not in violation of a law or regulation several times a day? We must comply with regulations. The federal government dictates, among other things, details such as how much water an individual may have in his dishwasher, the composition of gas can spouts, and the angle of a stepladder placed placement. Did Washington's men endure Valley Forge to regulate stepladder placement? The weaponization of agencies such as the IRS, FBI, and CIA, none of which were established in the Constitution, against American citizens for their political beliefs is an, in, an insult to a free republic. Any citizen, regardless of political affiliation or no po political affiliation at all, is subject to the ever-encompassing power of the unelected administrative state for violating any number of regulations, edicts, and decisions that are made in a distant capital. An Article V Convention of States would consider an amendment limiting the power and scope of the federal bureaucracy, likely via a requirement that Congress be made to the reauthorize re each individual department by standalone reauthorization bills every two or three years. Thank you for your attention, and I 
please ask you to support House Resolution 3660. Thank you. Thank you so much, ma'am, for your time here today. Um, members of the committee, questions? All righty. Next up, I have Mark Marshall. Ladies and gentlemen of the committee, my name is Mark Marshall, a Convention of States volunteer from Middleborough. Thank you for hearing my testimony today in support of HR 3660. Instead of a people governed by a document that can be easily held between thumb and forefinger, we are ruled by an ever-expanding annotated constitution. It currently weighs 10 pounds and comprises thousands of pages of Supreme Court interpretations of the original constitution. It is the product of the expansion of judicial power that began with Marbury versus Madison, tangible proof of the outsized expansion of the federal government. It amounts to a government that has fostered a loss of confidence in the sovereignty of this republic, pushing ever increasing burdens upon the individual and small business person. It has produced bulky legislation spilling over hundreds or thousands of pages and contrived thousands of upon thousands of regulations in the federal registry. It employs battalions of lawyers to interpret these regulations and has permitted swarms of compliance officers to brandish them like a sword. It has yawned at the piling up of debt and the erosion of the credit of the United States, accepting and encouraging judicial fiat and a creeping encroachment into the private affairs of citizens and private institutions. Taken as a whole, the federal government now, and I quote, covers the surface of society with a network of small, complicated rules. The will of man is not shattered, but softened, bent, and guided. Men are seldom forced by it to act, but they are constantly restrained from acting. Such a power compresses, enervates, extinguishes, and stupefies a people till each nation is reduced to nothing better than a flock of timid and industrial animals, of which the government is the shepherd." Unquote. That was the French writer and philosopher Alexis de Tocqueville in the early 19th century, unknowingly describing today's United States. This environment drains the spirit of independence nobly won by our forefathers and successfully defended by their descendants. It drains the spirit of self-respect sensitivity to one's neighbors, and the proper relationship between citizen and government that is vital to liberty. Now it is time to restrain the federal government from acting beyond its bounds. The states can and must do so. Article 5 grants that power. Thank you again for hearing my testimony today, and I respectfully ask for your support for H.R. 3660 in moving it out of committee and to the floor for a vote. Thank you. Well, I appreciate your testimony here today, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, members of the committee, questions? Seeing none, sir, have a great weekend. And next up is Haley Shaw. Oh, I'm trying to open the video. Here we go. Hello, uh, I'm Hello. Haley Shaw. I live in Salem, Massachusetts, and I ask for you to support Bill 3660. Amending the Constitution is rightly an involved and difficult process that must clear significant hurdles. Upon 34 state legislatures agreeing to the adoption of a Convention of States resolution, one, 
Congress is required by Article 5 to call a convention of states. Two, all 50 state legislatures name commissioners to the convention as they see fit. Three, the convention of states is limited in purpose. That is to discuss and propose amendments to the United States Constitution that narrows the scope and jurisdiction of the federal government. These are the possible amendments that we have discussed that could include congressional and or judicial term limits, fiscal restraints, and restraints upon the administration, administrative, or also known as the fourth branch of the federal government. Should a majority of the states agree to one or any of the proposed amendments, Congress can either direct the state legislatures to vote upon those amendments or establish ratification conventions in each state to debate and vote upon the proposed amendments. Five, three-fourths of the states or three or 38 states must ratify an amendment or amendments to be added to the Constitution. Suggestions that a convention of states would nullify or disfigure the Constitution are unfounded. A convention of states is not a constitutional convention, such as that of 1787. As outlined, 38 states must ratify a proposed amendment. It is difficult to imagine a dozen state legislatures, let alone 38 of them, that would ratify an amendment or series of amendments that would so alter the Constitution as to destroy its basic protections and freedoms. I appreciate this opportunity and I urge you to vote yes on 3660 and use the Constitution to save the Constitution. Thank you. No, thank you for taking the time to come here uh, to testify today. Um, members of the committee, questions? Alrighty, next up we have, well, but thank you, Haley. Um, next up we have William Matheson. Good afternoon. My name is William Matheson. I live in Billerica, Mass. I would like to thank this committee for the opportunity to speak in support of House Resolution 3660. Furthermore, if an Article 5 Convention of States could so easily alter or erase the Constitution, why would the mechanism have been included in the original document? As Madison argued in Federalist 43, quote, it was requisite, therefore, that a mode for introducing amendments should be provided. The mode preferred by the convention seems to be stamped with the very mark of proprietary, propriety. It guards against that extreme facility, which would render the Constitution too mutable. It, moreover, equal, equally enables the general and the state governments to originate the amendment of errors as they may be pointed out by experience on one side or the other, unquote. A yes vote from you merely advances the resolution before you to the larger legislative body for further discussion and reasonable debate. It does not establish or even advance a call for a constitutional convention. A convention of states is not a constitutional convention. It is a limited purpose convention for discussing and proposing amendments, limiting the scope and jurisdiction of the federal government. It does do the bidding of the people to advance a, con a conversation among and between the sovereign constituents 
and their state representatives about how best to rein in the federal government and, and assert for the Commonwealth the responsibilities and power designated to it by the founders. This is the definition of Republican government, federalism in action. Utilizing the Constitution to save the Constitution is under no circumstances reckless or risky. It is our duty. Thank you again for listening to my testimony. Please vote to bring this important resolution to the floor. Thank you, sir. Um, question, members of the committee. Seeing none, thank you very much. And next up we have Stephen, is it Tribestone? Tribestone? Tribestone. Tri Tri <laughs> thank you. Um, so, hello, my name is Stephen Tribestone. I am a uh, resident of Harwich and I'm speaking in support of HR 3660. Um, the strength of our republic depends upon adherence to first principles. We're demanding that our federal government adhere to those principles and asking you to exercise the power given to you through us in Article 5. We don't seek to overthrow the government, disfigure the Constitution, or withdraw our consent to be governed. Ours is a nonpartisan and nonviolent effort dedicated to strengthening the Constitution by returning power not granted to the federal government back to the several states for where it belongs. But don't mistake our civility and casual purpose or for casual purpose or lack of deep anger. We're joined by millions of citizens whose patience is not wearing thin, but at an end. No federal representative, senator, president, judge, or bureaucrat has the authority to stray from fidelity to the Constitution. Citizens who consent to be governed delegate our authority by communicating how we wish to be represented. Today, we are communicating our, we're communicating our support for this resolution. We urge that it be voted upon favorably by the committee so the whole of the general court and the whole of the Commonwealth can engage and be heard. Thank you very much for your time, and I support and I strongly urge you to vote for HR 3660. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Questions, members of the committee. All righty, seeing none. Next up, we have Matthew May. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I appreciate the opportunity to address the committee. Uh, I am Matthew May. I'm from uh, Haverhill. I reside in Haverhill, and I'm happy to urge support for H3660. Patriotism takes many forms, including having an honest conversation about what is wrong with our country and how we can peacefully remedy it in a way that benefits all citizens. We, the volunteers of the Convention of States Movement, believe in the design, necessity, and process of Article 5. Voting in favor of the resolution is an important first step in reclaiming limited government by, of, and for the people. Our spirit is that of 18th century Massachusetts farmer named Levi Preston. His stated motivation for having fought in the American Revolution echoes across the centuries. It animates our efforts, and we hope it will animate your vote for this resolution. Why did Mr. Preston, a simple farmer, fight Great Britain, then the most powerful military in the world? As he put it, quote, we had always governed ourselves. And them redcoats meant that we shouldn't. Our simple request to you is to add another honorable chapter to this Commonwealth's heritage of independence and self-government. You, our representatives in Boston, can reignite the spark that secures individual liberty for the sovereign and to advance that conversation. 
we think it's a conversation worth having. A yes vote means that on this day, you do not have to ask what you can do or what you did for your country. You can perform the role that the founders, many of whom were also members of their state legislatures, envisioned for you to stand in the breach when the federal government exceeds its limits and becomes tyrannical, and to declare that the Constitution is not a dead letter. Thank you again for the opportunity. I urge a favorable vote on H3660. And this concludes our uh, pre-written testimony as a team for COS. Thank you again, Mr. Chairman. No, thank you very much for coming forward. Um, questions, members of the committee? Okay, seeing none. Next up, we have Dr. Phyllis Troya, is it? Hi, yes, this is Dr. Phyllis Troya. Um, I don't seem to have. Another prepared statement. And, and as you're waiting, that did I did I does Rep Zaros have? Do you have your hand up, Rep? I do, Mr. Chairman. Um, uh, uh, we concluded the COS testimony, and this doctor is going to testify about something else. Uh, no, I'm not testifying about something else. I'm testifying uh, concerning the convention states. Yeah, we've okay. got we've got about one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight. We've got about twelve more witnesses who have signed up to to testify on on COS. Um, one. Then I will uh, wait till we're done. Thank you, sir. You are a thank you so much, Rep. We're at the end. Twenty. No, twenty is done. We are here. That's the end of it. I'm afraid we don't have any more statements to read, at least for us. Oh. Okay, so I just want to be so. All right, so you, so uh, Dr. Dr. Troy, so you've got nothing. Is that what you're saying? You're not. No you're not saying. You're not testifying. Statements. We had 20 statements read to date. Okay, we're going to briefly recess for 30 seconds. Okay, thank you. Sorry about that, folks. We are back. Next up, we have Edwin Carter Heal. Ladies and gentlemen of the committee, my name is Edwin Heal from Hanson, Massachusetts. Thank you for the um, opportunity to represent on behalf of the House Bill 3660. Um, I think we might have missed a section. If, if I'm repeating myself, please let me know. Um, I, this is um, our fifth paragraph. To dwell upon the debacle in Afghanistan for too long would be as sad as it is infuriating. Um, there is no constellaire institution illustration of the future of the federal federal government. For nearly 20 years, the United States spilled blood and treasure to not only return the Taliban to the ground it held before October 2020, uh, October 2001, but even more, more of it. The United States military accounts for 40% of the military strength on our, uh, spending on Earth, but it cannot or is not permitted to 
defeat armed forces, nor prevent an army that is trained and for which the American taxpayer paid to surrender to that same enemy. In this latest instance, it cannot account for the uh, precise amount and worth of the weaponry that fell into enemy hands. This is unacceptable. An Article 5 Convention of States is necessary to at least discuss and propose an amendment or amendments to corral spending and staunch, and staunch the bleeding if it is not already too late. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, for the opportunity to speak on behalf of the House Bill 3660. Thank you, sir. Questions, members of the committee? Seeing none, pushing forward. Next up, we have Stanley Hoffman. Greetings. I'm Dr. Stanley Hoffman of Framingham. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, committee members, for this opportunity to testify today in favor of H3660. I am disillusioned by the ever-increasing overreach of the federal government. Our founding fathers intended for the states to be primary lawmakers for their respective populations, with the federal government acting as the guarantor by protecting our homeland and the rights of American citizens. The economics of this all began to change with the post-depression New Deal. The process it started into motion has been gradually eliminating the constitutionally mandated limited role of the federal government ever since and has reached an apex in our time in the hands of the activist political extremists who have overtaken the legislature and judicial agenda of the federal government. Socialism is anathema to the representative government of a constitutional republic. Right before the unconstitutional lockdowns of the pandemic took hold, my career was soaring. I was asking my family to name dream vacation spots to visit, and I expected to retire comfortably in five to seven years. Since then, I lost my job of 23 years because of the economic toll caused by the pandemic. Many other individuals and businesses continue to suffer due to the continued overreach of the federal government with its draconian mandates and out of control taxing and spending. Regarding the pandemic, the CDC is not a fourth branch of the government. It is populated by unelected bureaucrats. Yet the CDC continues to run roughshod over the lives and livelihoods of the American people. Mandates are not laws. The federal government only has the power to issue strongly worded advisories to its citizens and nothing more. As an informed American citizen, I have had it, and I will not rest until all undue powers is stripped from the federal government and returned to the several states by way of America's last best hope, an Article V Convention of States. To paraphrase, to paraphrase our literature, an Article V Convention of States, commissioners would have the opportunity to debate and pass amendments requiring that members of Congress live under the same laws they pass for the rest of us, imposing term limits on members of Congress, Supreme Court justices, and federal bureaucrats, requiring a, a balanced federal budget, imposing limits on federal spending and taxation, getting the federal government out of our health care and education systems, and stopping unelected federal bureaucrats from imposing regulations. Time does not allow for me to continue listing the potential benefits of a convention. 
Please be a part of making American history. Kindly help to make our dream of the Convention of States a reality. Vote yes on H3660. Thank you for your time and attention. And thank you as well, sir, for your time and attention to this and testifying today. Um, thank you, question, Mr. Chairman. Questions from members of the committee? All righty, seeing none. none. Next, we have Kenneth Earing. Hello. Good morning. Oh, hi. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my, name, my, my name is Kenneth Aaron. May it please the committee. I live in West Barnstable. I am a Republican town committee woman for the town of Barnstable, and I'm also a retired attorney. I only say all those things because uh, I wanted full disclosure. And secondly, I think this issue is completely bipartisan. I don't I think it has to do with whether you're a Democrat or Republican or an independent. I think we can all agree that this is a bipartisan issue, uh, that uh, we shouldn't have career politicians in office. Uh, I worship at St. Mary's in Barnstable Village, and we recently had a time capsule to be open 50 years from, I think, 2017. So what would that be? 2067, I'll be long gone. One of the things in the uh, time capsule that my late husband and I put in was a sticker that's on my car, Stop Career Politicians, Endorse Term Limits. Um, seeing how there's nothing left to read from the script that was uh, handed to us and that was read by the other members of this committee, I have nothing more to say except um, I, I hope you support H.R. 3660. I think it's something that... Uh, is about time, and I think everybody's fed up with the number of career politicians in Congress, and that there should be term limits for everyone in Congress, and no Congress member should make any laws that doesn't apply to him or herself. So I uh, also, as a former law student, constitutional law was my favorite subject. So. I thought I would put that in there too. It's a, it's an unbelievably written document that uh, was written so long ago and by very few, but very smart men. And I, I hope we prize it as the most incredible document ever written and abide by it forever so that our descendants will be able to enjoy the same freedoms that we have been able to for all this time. Thank you for letting me speak, and I urge you to vote in favor of H.R. 3660. Thank you. Ma'am, thank you so much. I share your enthusiasm for constitutional law. It was my favorite course as well. So, so thank you for your time. Thank you for your testimony and questions from the hearing, from the committee. All righty. Next up, John Martins. Again, John Martins. Already pushing forward. Next up, we have Peg Dragon Blumenthal. Thank you. Um, my name is Peggy Ann Dragon Blumenthal. I live in Western Mass in Huntington, and I serve on the Gateway Regional School Committee. I'm a COS volunteer. 
I'm a former Connecticut civics teacher, uh, always teaching rights and responsibilities, something that's been missing in the teaching lately of our uh, government. Um, almost everyone knows that our federal government is on a dangerous course. The unsustainable debt combined with the crushing regulations on states and businesses is a recipe for disaster. What is less known is the founders gave state legislatures the power to act as a final check on the abuses of power by Washington, D.C. Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution authorizes the state's legislatures to call the convention for proposing needed amendments to the Constitution. The process does not require the consent of the federal government in Washington, D.C. That is important. It is up to the states to do this. It isn't up to Washington to do that. I support the Convention of States project. It's a national effort to call a convention under the Article 5 of the United States Constitution restricted to proposing amendments that will impose physical restraints on the federal government, limit its power and jurisdiction, impose term limits on its officials and the members of Congress. I want our state, Massachusetts, to be one of the necessary 34 states to pass a resolution calling for this Article 5 convention. Thank you uh, um, for hearing my testimony and for listening. Please support resolution HR 3660. Thank you again to everyone. And we thank you for, you know, sticking around to offer your testimony. Thank you very much. And members of the committee, any questions? All righty. Seeing none, thank you so very much, ma'am. And next up, we have Richard Winkenden. Again, for Richard Winkenden. Right. It sounds like someone might be trying to join up. So I'm going to I'm going to pass up Richard if you can hear us and then you can. And then certainly uh, if you sign on, please let us know. Next up, Katrina Russell. Uh, hello. Hello. Hi. Um, thank you for giving us a chance to talk here. And thank you for doing it over the computer because we had a snow day and I'm a single mom with a kid home. So thank you. Um, I'm from Methuen. And um, this country is at war with itself, each tribe trying to destroy the other. But one thing everyone can agree on is that they hate government, especially the federal government, and especially Congress and bureaucrats. Everyone in this country is here because someone somewhere chose to leave behind the land that they were born and the land that their family are at and look for a better place, more opportunities, more freedoms. This country was built on self-governance, and it's the reason people still flock here today. The government in this country is chosen by the citizens not to lead us by proxy, but to implement the will of the people who elected them. No one knows this better than the people of Massachusetts. Massachusetts was the first colony to fight back against the British. When others hear about Lexington and Concord, they have an idea of like, don't shoot till I see the whites of their eyes. But I was born in one of those cities and I work in the other. When others hear about Bunker Hill, they know there was some battle of some kind, but we know that there's a community college there that helped the next generation find their path. 
In fact, Massachusetts has more colleges than any other state, more education, and of course, the best sports teams. We know what it means to win and to fight. Uh, we also know what it means to make decisions for ourselves and not depend on the federal government. We were the first to have our own socialized health care, mass health. We were the first to legalize gay marriage long before the president entered the United entered into office in agreement. We were the first to decriminalize marijuana, putting an effort on rehabs over jail. The federal government has never known what we need. The federal government has become a group of oligarchies who vote on whomever will give them the most money so that they can retain power. We need to enforce term limits to members of Congress and bureaucrats and the bureaucrats that they appoint, including the Supreme Court. The federal government is the government of the people not the government of the elite. We need to make a balanced budget. They always talk about how they need, they won't be able to pay their creditors if we don't increase the debt ceiling. No, we pay our creditors. We won't be able to, pay, to fund their pet projects if we don't increase our credit limit. My son is eight years old and he loves memes. He told me he made one about being a good parent who tells their kids they can't afford the big vacation this year, but will take a smaller one instead compared to the bad parent that says, I managed to save $6,000 and the vacation will cost $5,000, let us go, forgetting about all the other expenses that go with it. The federal government in this tale is the bad parent, only in this case, it's reverse. The government isn't using their own money, they are using ours. They are the children making decisions with none of the consequences. My eight-year-old knows to save for the future and he's already starting. The federal government is already spending it on him. Again, I want to thank you for your time, and please consider voting on HR 3660. Thank you so much, and thank you for your testimony here today. Members of the committee, questions? Seeing none, thank you so much, ma'am. And next up, we have David Goodhue. One more time for David Goodhue. All righty, how about... Ronald Bush, Ronald Bush. I'm here. All righty, the floor is yours. <clears throat> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I'm a volunteer for the Convention of States Project. My name is Ronald Bush. I live in Layfield, Massachusetts. I support the Convention of States resolution because I believe in term limits are important. I think many of the problems at the federal level could be solved if we had a revolving door of people going in and out of Congress without term limits, most congressmen end up having long-term interest in being in Congress and their interests lie in whatever can get them reelected rather than what's best for the country. I believe in term limits amendments would help this and cause Congress to vote in favor of something more critical, a resolution such as balancing the budget. Over the past 10 years, these two issues are equally important. Thank you for the opportunity to address this committee and please vote for the favor of resolution before you, HR 3660. Thank you so very much, sir. Um, questions from the committee? All righty, seeing none, next up we have Adam Lang. Adam Lang. One more time for Adam Lang. 
How about Jeff Foster? Jeff Foster? Hey, Mr. Chairman. Who's this, Jeff? Yes. All righty, welcome. The floor is yours. Thank you. Good afternoon, Chairman and Honorable Committee members. Uh, thank you, and especially to your staff for putting together today's hearing. My name is Jeff Foster, and I'm the Executive Director at Common Cause Massachusetts. I'm also a proud resident of Lowell. I'm testifying today in opposition to Bill H3660, which calls for a convention of states under Article 5 in the U.S. Constitution, and we strongly urge you to oppose this bill as well. There are similar efforts in many states led by wealthy conservative special interests calling for an Article 5 convention. Common Cause has worked hard in recent years to oppose such a move, even here in Massachusetts, where we've joined with the League of Women Voters, ACLU, the Massachusetts Teachers Association, AFSCME Council 93, and many more to oppose any Article 5 Convention of States. Uh, we also plan as a group to submit a collective written testimony to this committee. This particular bill replicates similar bills in other states that would approve convention campaigns and calls for amendments to the Constitution that impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and limit the terms of office for its officials and for members of Congress. While we can and should debate the merits of how and why the Constitution could be amended, we have a process already in place for making those changes. As you've already heard today, the issues vary in calling for an Article 5 Convention of States, and we strongly oppose the tactic of calling for an Article 5 Convention altogether. As you've heard, under Article 5 of the Constitution, a convention can be called when two-thirds of the states petition for a convention to enact amendments to the Constitution. An Article 5 convention has never been called before in American history, and we should not try to have one during this extraordinarily politically factious time. Monday's public hearing by this very committee is focused on similar bills to address campaign finance reform by seeking to overturn Citizens United through an Article 5 convention of states. Despite opposing Citizens United, we'll be testifying against those bills as well, alongside many other good government advocates. An Article 5 convention would be a dangerous threat to the U.S. Constitution, our democracy, and our civil rights and liberties. There is no language in the U.S. Constitution to limit a convention to just one issue, and it is widely understood that a convention, once called, will be able to consider any amendments that the delegates want to consider. That is true regardless of the restriction a state includes in its call for such a convention. Despite what some may claim, there are no guidelines or rules to govern the details of such a convention. Even former Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia and Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Tribe agree on this. Due to the lack of provisions in the Constitution and lack of historical precedent, it's unknown how delegates to a convention would even be picked. Because there's no way to limit a convention's focus, any constitutional issue could be brought up and fundamental rights could be undermined including marriage equality, civil rights and civil liberties, voting rights and privacy rights and more. We cannot and must not roll the dice when it comes to preserving the fundamental rights in our constitution. For all these reasons and more, we strongly urge you to give H3660 an unfavorable report. Thank you and I'm happy to answer any questions from the committee. Thank you very much for your time today, sir. Anybody from the committee with a question? Seeing none, thank um, you very much. Excuse me, uh, Senator Vilas, Chairman. Is that is that Representative Peace? Yeah, yes, it is. For some reason, my hand wasn't going up for a little while there. 
Yours, um, yours, my friend. Thank you. Um, so I, I guess one question, uh, Mr. Foster, is that um, if 38 states have to approve such a thing, such a, a, a supermajority, you think that it's not a good thing to have the majority of 38 states approve new amendments or, or look over them? Um, thank you, Representative. Appreciate the question. Um, so um, it's, it's my understanding is it would be 34 states uh, in order to call for convention of states. Um, and we have seen other states move in this direction. Uh, our position is that we have a process by which we can amend the Constitution. We've seen it used uh, many times in the history of this country. I know there's current frustration with Congress uh, and, and the sense of folks who have different priorities that they'd like to see amended into the Constitution. Uh, but there is a process. Mr. Foster, it wasn't, I wasn't saying how many need to, to get the actual con convention going. At the convention, would it have to be a consensus of at least 38 states to approve of any amendments? Yes, and, and again, our position is that there are no guidelines in the Constitution for how such a convention would be conducted. Uh, and there's too much risk, especially in this time in our country's history, uh, to open the gates with such uncertainty, knowing that there are well-meaning folks, many of whom have spoken today, that have ideas for the Constitution. But we have a process by which those ideas can be debated. And an Article 5 convention is much too hazardous and dangerous, especially in the times we're in. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Representative Pease. Any other questions from members of the committee? All right, I am, and please feel free to speak up. I've clearly demonstrated that I'm not good at seeing people's hands when they go up. So if you have a, if you have a question, please, uh, members of the committee, just speak up. All righty, so, so I am seeing that as the, the end of the list. Has there been anybody that was supposed to testify on House 3660 that we skipped over? I may have missed. I want to make sure that everybody who signed up to testify is given that opportunity. All righty. Looks like we got everybody. So so that, that that's all. Excuse me, Mr. Chairman. I see someone raising their hand, I thought. There. Uh, David, David Goodhue. Oh yes, David is someone that we David someone that wasn't here initially. David, are you here? Senator, I'd, I'd emailed David. I think he was having technical difficulties, um, so he's, I emailed he's him. On. And he's on. He's on. He's just muted. It seems like. Oh. Yeah, I can. I can see him on the screen talking, but it's silent. Yeah, he's the, he, he's not muted, so it must be his headset because his 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 profile showing him not muted. So, he but he can submit written testimony to um, uh, whatever. Absolutely. And absolutely, Gabe Gabe from my office, you communicated with him, and he indicated that he would submit written testimony. I had emailed him, um, and yeah, and we're happy to obviously take any written testimony. All right. All right, I don't want to. I don't want to hold others up. So David, going once, going twice, and we will certainly. I'm very confident in speaking for members of this committee, and certainly as well as myself. We are glad to. We are glad to continue this conversation if you wanted to have it. Um, so, so we are going to. That, that's all I see as far as testimony. But I would be remiss if I didn't say 
you know, thanking everybody for testifying today, but particularly those who have testified today on House Bill 3660, obviously the Convention of the States, and then Senate Bill 2406, the bill involving Cambodia. Um, any number of people, many, many people sign up to testify. Many people did testify, and it was a, a lengthy hearing, and many people waited to testify. So so thank you for sticking around. Thank you for offering your thoughts, because um, that's not the case with every hearing that we do. So really, really appreciate you sticking around doing that, especially with this weather and on a, on a Friday. So, so I'm going to turn it over to my House Carter counterpart, Chair McMurtry, to see if he has any closing statements, and then we will move to adjourn. Senator, thank you very much. And to uh, all those who testified, as well as our colleagues in both the House and the Senate for uh, enduring and persevering and uh, being a part of this uh, important process. Senator, I just want to comment and applaud your steadfast leadership on running a, a very efficient hearing. Um, thank you. And uh, I'm, I'm all set with that. I appreciate members of the House uh, participating as well. And uh, have a nice weekend. Stay safe. You as well, Mr. Chairman. Thank you for your words. And I'm going to offer a motion to adjourn. Adjourn. Motion to adjourn. Second. Have a great day. Have a great weekend, everybody. This has been the podcast version of COS Live. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.